Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. What's going on, Psyche? the Benga here live and direct from Los Angeles, actually on a roof, Beverly Hill, believe it or not. I'm around a lot of towers here, so if I fade in and out, my apologies. My apologies. Hope you guys are doing well out there. What is it? Daylight savings? Yes, the clock an hour. You know, I woke up, looked at my cell phone, it said one time, looked at my laptop, it said a different time altogether. And I said to myself, oh my God, what's there? I thought it was the medication. And so I realized by a post of, uh, by a friend of mine's uh, Virgie on Facebook that it was actually daylight savings time. So I was very relieved to know that uh, I wasn't losing my mind. I'd like to say hello to Sandy in the control booth. Sandy's on vacation this week and uh, visiting family in Miami. And then she's off to Europe for about, I believe, two weeks. I'm not too sure. She was very vague. I think something's going on over there. I think it was uh, what I know about her friends getting married. But she's saying it's vacation, so, you know, she'll probably just combine the two. I hope everyone's well. I got a lot of emails regarding last week's show uh, regarding uh, Word on the Street about the play Love You. That's good. Hope you all enjoyed it. If you got a chance, check out the show. Today's show, people, though, we have to talk about a serious topic. Everything I talk about, I feel is serious. Is it somebody or some community or some country? But in this case, we really have an issue going on. That's why today's show is the miseducation of education. And as a teacher, what I'm seeing among the students, you know, we're not going to just, let me bring it back to you this way. A lot of times you see with uh, President Obama and a lot of people that a lot of stress seems to be putting, being put on the teachers. You know, it seems like the teachers are meant to be held accountable for what's going on uh, in regards to the failure of the students. You know, as I said in our description for, day, for today's show, you have uh, the Kansas City School District will close half their schools by the end of this school year. Rhode Island, uh, there's a school over there that fired its entire staff. I mean, they're going to have to reapply if they want their jobs back, and I believe the mandate is at 50% of jobs back. Not too sure, but uh, they fired the entire staff there. It's, you're just looking around the, the nation where people – you know, teachers are getting laid off here. Schools are being closed there. People feel charter schools don't work. Some people feel schools do work. It's just really madness out there. And now you have, you know, the unions, the teachers, you know, one size saying that, you know, we want these things to go uh, do we want these uh, suggestions to be put in place before we sign any agreement with the government? You have the government saying that the chiefs have to be held accountable. You have people saying there needs to be a standardized test. And by that I mean is that, for example, in the KC out here in Los Angeles, you know, the California High School Exit uh, State Exam. 
it's crazy out there. But again, as a teacher, when I see these students, it, it's 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 mind-boggling to see how far the standards of education has kind of, you know, has, has, has plummeted. Let me read something to you, two things that I'm going to bring to you right now. For example, some time ago, a colleague named uh, the Education Examiner, her name is uh, Donna Gundel Craig, and she posted in February 25th that eighth graders in the United States rank below students in many Asian countries when it comes to science, according to the trends in international mathematics and science studies. The TIMSS rankings show that the United States ranks 11th in science, in science and 9th in math. The chart below was published by the Washington Post. And it was, the question was asked, what should we do about the students slipping further and further behind? And according to some of the article, the statement by Russ Harding of the Education Report, he says schools should just stick to the basics and resist the green fad. And by that, um, all this education that's being uh, presented to students around to green technology. You know, there's degree programs and what have you, and they're talking about environmental sciences uh, in high school. And this gentleman feels that they need to get away from that and just stick to the basics. Now, you know, my opinion on that, but we don't, we don't want to go into the opinion of, of various subjects, but let me give you uh, the ranking itself. The TIMSS, the top performers in eighth grade math and science, scale average score is 500, again, the TIMSS scale out of 500. And these were the top performers in eighth grade math and science tests. Number one, Singapore, ranking at 567. Next, Taiwan, ranking at 561. Japan, 554. South Korea, 553. England, 542. 539. Czech Republic, 539. Slovenia, 538. Hong Kong, 530. Russia, 530, and the United States at 520. In math, with the average again being 500, top ranks 598, South Korea 597, Singapore 593, Hong Kong 572, yes, again, Hong Kong 57, Japan 570, Hungary 517, England 513, Russia 512, United States 508. Now, people, I know that the myth is that people just drink and get drunk in Russia, and that's the stereotype. But what's it saying that they rank higher in the United States when it comes to math and science? You look at, the, you look at Hunt, that ranks higher. England, what's going on? Let me read you something else here. The U.S. Is, uh, the article is entitled, The U.S. Slipping in Education Rankings, published November 19th. It's nothing new now, so I'm going to read this to you. It was published November 19th, 2008. And it goes, the United States is no longer the world leader in secondary education, according to the rankings of an international organization. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development to the United States 18th among the 36 nations examined, USA Today reported Wednesday. Again, I read that to you people. Places the United States 18th among the 36 nations examined, as reported by the USA Today on the Wednesday of that week. Headed to the top of the heap in South Korea, where 93% of high school students graduate on time compared with the United States, where 75% were diplomas. The seemingly downward trend of U.S. education worries economists. Quote, the United States has rested on its laurels way too long, end quote, says Jacob von Kierkegaard of the Peterson International Economics in Washington, told USA Today, quote, other countries have increasingly caught up and surpassed the United States. We've been asleep for a good number of years as a country, continues Richard Freeman, an economic professor at Harvard. Quote, it's not that we're doing hard, but the other guys are moving faster. People, what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. One thing that I see on the street, and I've you know, spoken to my fellow teachers, but oh, before I forget, let me give you a number to call in because I'm always asked questions about, hey, we have a question. How come we can't call in? Here's your call number. You have a question? 646-595-2892. 646-595-2892. Five nine five two eight nine two. You could also chat with me live and ask me what your questions are online. And if you're online, you could also my support. But people, what I'm just lowering of the standards. I remember a colleague of mine whose name escapes me, Mr. Land. Uh, we have he was a fellow teacher at New Designs Charter School. Where I teach at. We had this conversation about the educational system as it relates to uh, where he comes from. I believe Hong Kong or maybe in Taiwan. 
and coming from the continent uh, country of Congo, where I come from. And his statement was, too many, you know, the student has to rise to the expectations of the school. They have to rise to the expectation. The school doesn't lower the expectation down to the student. And we have too many people who are coddling these and feeling sorry for them because their skills aren't where they're supposed to be. So instead of trying to, I'm not saying all the teachers, but we have too many teachers, and the teachers out there that are on the street, not say on the street, but just laid off bunches in the school, teaching down to the students, lowering the standards, lowering the expectations. And sometimes too often you have, sometimes too often as a contradiction of words there, but you have many students already coming to school with an attitude they don't want to be there. But when you ask them, well, if they want to do, well, I want to be a football player. Well, if you can't read and your math isn't that very good at sports, is that how you're going to be a football player? There's never an answer. Now, someone once asked me what, you know, what caused me to want to, and I'll tell you, and I'll read this to ask you from the description of the show. This week, I handed out to my students across different grade levels an exercise where they have to fill in the names of the countries on the map that let the country name blank. One Latino student put Cambodia next to Mexico. Anglo student wrote Asia is in Europe, while a black American student wrote that Canada was part of the United States. I'm dead serious. And I was stunned when I saw that. Stunned when I saw that. Now, when I applied that to my 11th graders, it was the same results. Now, we started talking about World War II history, you know, and I put the dates of, the, of World War I. I put the dates of World War II. They didn't know what that meant. When I put Rising Sun, maybe one out of 30 students met. That was represented down the uh, German Air Force, the answer being Luftwaffe. Maybe one person knew that. When we were talking about uh, Night of Broken Glass, the answer is Crystal Knock. But, what, you know, no one knew what that was. It's funny when you see students trying to make up words that talks. And I asked them, I said, well, what exactly are you guys studying? So when I spoke to uh, their, their history teacher, Ms. Cypher, when she was telling me that, you know, because she doesn't, you know, get a chance to really teach them all the knowledge she feels they need to have because it's not just a time, time constraint, but because of the exam students are given. And that's an issue I've heard from a couple of my colleagues across the country. The, students are being taught to test. They're not being taught to be a, a, a global citizen. They're being taught to test. And as a result, if your lessons plan is, you know, is focusing on this subject, that subject, and this air subject, you have to basically cut off 50% because you have to teach what's going to be on the test. And these children, these children know it. The sad thing is about you have many children who are going to grow up, graduate, if they decide to graduate, and they're going to be functionally illiterate. Because their skills, their basic skills are going to be so low, what exactly are they going to do? Now, the funny thing is you have some students who feel that, you know, because their SAT score is 1,600, that they're the superstars of the campus. And I'm, I get these emails from a couple of my, my colleagues. And then you say, well, that might be nice in, in one particular state, but I know in Boston, you know, that might not even get you into, an, into a community college. And the thing is, what is happening is that the students, are feeling that they are empowered, do what they want, and worry more about their cell phone and brush being taken than passing a class. And I say this based on the fact that I took a cell phone from a student who was texting in class, took his brush months earlier. And after we had a conversation with the dean, he said, I said to him, we'll make a deal. You pass the test on Monday, you get the brush back. Without missing a beat, the student said to me, I don't care about passing the test. I just brush back. True story, this past week, I was stunned, but then I said, okay, no problem. That's what's going on. You have too many, you know, I think my aunt, Musa, has a good word for this. She calls it generation, uh, generation in, and they feel that they're entitled to have phones. They feel they're entitled to have something to say to a teacher. They feel they're entitled to dress how they want to do at school. They feel they're entitled to express their opinion as wrong as it may be. And the person that pays for those low scores because of this because they feel they don't have to learn, because they feel, you know, they can do what they want to do. It is the teachers. And the teachers out there busting their behind, trying to get the best lessons they can, and then when the students are passing, who's dragged into the office? The teacher. And the teacher's like, wait a minute. Where's the responsibility of the parent? Where's the responsibility of the guardian? Where's the responsibility of the administrator? And I come back to the parent because too many parents are seeing school as nothing but a modified daycare center. They come drop their kids off, and they come pick them up at the end of the day, and then when you flunk them, 
The parents come to school and say, what's the problem? Why is my child flunking? This is why your child's flunking. Your child isn't doing homework, not doing assignments. Your child's missing classes. Your child's having issues. Your child wants to make a battle out of every, every, class, every uh, class that's taking place. That's your child. But yet the parent doesn't want to hear that. The parent wants to make the teacher the problem. So the administrator makes the teacher the problem. And then the school board makes the problem. And then everybody makes the teacher the problem. And the teachers are saying, wait a minute, no one's ever asked my opinion on how to teach these children. And on that note, we're going to take a commercial break. And let's go back to it. that might bring it to uh, how I learned my education back in the day. All right. Today's show is the miseducation of education. Bring it to me, old school style. I get my thing in action. To be, to see, to feel, to live. I put my heart in action. To run, to go, to get, to give. That's where I find satisfaction. Yeah. To search, to find, to have, to hold. When I use my imagination. Think I plot, I plan, I dream, turning in towards creation. I make, I write, I dance, I sing, when I'm feeling really active. I run, I ride, I swim, I fly, other times when life is easy. I rest, I sleep, I sit, I lie. I can take a noun and bend it, give me a noun. Make it a verb and really send it. Show me how. Oh, I don't know my own power. Burn. I'm my thing in action, in being, in doing, and saying. A verb expresses action, being or a state of being. A verb makes a statement. Yeah, a verb tells it like it is. Tell you when it's happening. Ooh, tell you more about what's happening. Oh, I can tell you who is happening. Hey, every sentence has a subject. Now, Find that subject. Where's the action? Take a subject. What is it? What's done to it? What does it say? school people <laughs> oh my gosh you see the people in the studio because we have some uh some friends of mine uh we have and my, you know again i'm on the so the studio is not exactly in the table and the equipment and some folks just came up uh who are uh, texting i told them where i was and they're hearing this they're like you got to be kidding because you know our generation we remember that it was a, it was a schoolhouse rock and that's how you know, I think it was uh, the after-school special appeared on Wednesdays. And, you know, verb, what, that's what's happening. The animation is, is ridiculously off the chart. You're singing with it, but you're learning about the verbs. It's like, you know, conjunction function or something like that. You know, what's your function, something like that. But that's the education that I remember. And back in the day when you had Miss Powers, you had Miss Key, you had uh, Stead, you had the, the, uh, Mr. Calhoun, the principal. You know, you had, oh, my God. You know, you can remember those people back in the day. You know, Ms. Barrett, you can remember those teachers. And it's weird when you these teachers who have influenced your life in some way. I couldn't speak the way I speak or I couldn't think the way I do or process information without the teachers in my life. And the teachers in my life began with my parents because they're both teachers. 
And I used to live half the time on the Harvard University campus with my father when he was going to divinity school and doing his undergrad. And both my mom went to Harvard University. So for me, education is life or death. And in a lot of our culture, it's life or death. I always find that when I call a Latino, when I have a problem with a, one of my Latino students and I, I want your parents to come to school or something like that, I, I just, when I talk to the parents, you know, I speak to them straight up. And I say, look, where I come from, you know, you know, as an immigrant myself, it, education is, is key. And the parents, you know, they're old school. They look at their child, and you have death saying, you're here to learn. You're not here to make friends. You're here to learn. That's all they care about. But it seems like too many of these kids, again, you know, and it's not just the Latino students. I've talked to some, you know, some um, black American parents, you know, who are, why is my child, you know, flunking? What do you mean? They're not doing the work? I'll take care of that. And the next thing you know, that child comes to school like they had an exorcism or something like that. Totally different. But for me, it's just really irritating. And this is my opinion. You know, you can take it for what you want. But it's just really irritating to see so much blame being put on the teachers. You have a room full of 30 students who you've never seen before. And you have to teach them skills that that's going to help them in life. I would say about a good 80% have the skills, you know, right there and then to do it. The remaining, about another 50% actually, you know, wants to be in the room because they don't want to be somewhere else. And then you have the remaining 20% that actually wants to learn. But usually that 20% is divided into those that actually, you know, can learn at an accelerated rate and the rest that can't. And this is the person who's part, who might be coming from a community where they've never seen something like this before, where they've never been exposed to a community of, of, of different ethnicities, what have you. And it's really interesting how, again, you know, no children left behind is morphing into no children left behind, but we'll leave the teachers behind on the sidewalk just by firing them or laying them off. It's stupid. It's stupid. When someone thinks that Asia is, is, is in Europe, right, or Cambodia is next, to, is next to Mexico, there's a problem, all right? There is a serious problem education. And if this generation is indicative of what is coming down the road, I'd be very fearful of the state of this nation in about 10, 15 years because many of these children are going to not, they're not even going to be functionally illiterate. They're going to be illiterate. Seriously. There used to be a time, and, you know, people are going to say, oh, my God, here we go back in the day. You know what? So what? Too bad. That's my favorite reference. But, my God, I remember I knew students, look, if they got anything lower, or lower than a B, I mean, like, you know, if they didn't get an A, they got a B. They were afraid to go home. You did your homework. This, this is the days of there was no internet. It was you know your internet was the library, the mimeograph machine. You know the thing you put the blue ink in the back and you turn it around. That's how you made your copies. And sadly, they actually run faster than these machines that they have right now. I mean, you couldn't really do double sided back then because that was like really like you know Star Trek technology. But now, I mean, when you had to do research, you had to you had to go to the library, read a book, take out a book. I remember the joke uh, this girl made of me when we did the Mattapan back in Boston. Uh, Mattapan was actually outside of Boston. She joked, this is like back in 70-something, she joked that when I would come home from school, she knew it was me because all she would see is a stack of books and some le- and my legs. Now today, when you, when you give these kids an assignment or something like that, their best friend is plagiarism because what they do is they'll cut and paste some whole, I mean, now, this, this isn't some dumb child. This is some of the, the you know, the, the, how you say, the high achievers group. Cut paste an entire paragraph, post it in their essay, which usually is not full matter probably anyways, and they give it to you under the assumption you don't read. So you can imagine the reaction of my, a lot of my students when I say, look, we have a problem here. Where exactly do you get the information? You ask them what this word means. They don't know. Then you ask them, well, why did you use the word? Where's your sources? What do you, why, why are you thinking this? They can't articulate that, that thought. And you say, okay, you have plagiarism. But they start saying, but I did the work, I did the work. And you, and you always ask them, well, what do you mean you did the work? Define doing the work. Cutting and pasting? Give me a break. No way. Come on, people. You have teachers out there busting their behind, and they're basically being assaulted from every possible venue. I'm not talking about the parents who are very supportive of the teachers and their support of the teachers or the principals that support the teachers or the boards that support the teachers. I'm not talking about that, that, that group of people. I'm going to take that group and put them over here. I'm talking about basically the, uh, the radicals on the other side who when you call the child and you see the parents are talking, you quickly say, now I see why the child acts the way they do. 
because the first person they blame is the teacher. You call the parent to say there's a problem, the parent doesn't want to talk to you. They just kind of blow you off. And then when the grades come back and they have an F, who do you think is the first to call you? The parent. Why my child fail? Well, I'll tell you, they're failing the test. And we will talk about testing in a moment. But let's get on to something else here. Administrators. There are great administrators out there that are very supportive of their teachers. They used to be teachers themselves. They've been promoted to another position. Many like to teach. Many like to stay at the trencher. Many like to do what they do. I'll take that group and put them over there. But then you have the administrators, I call the overseers. And for those that know the history of slavery, that's down in the cotton field on the, on, the, on the chariot with the horse looking down on the slaves to make sure they're doing the work. Seriously. And the slaves out of line, whoosh, I said, boy, they have the teacher. And when the teacher is saying clearly and demonstrates clearly, I am doing what I need to do. I am teaching what I'm supposed to teach. And this student here refused the work. Well, the gaze of, of, this, of hatred or dislike doesn't go towards the student. It goes to the teacher. And, you're sitting, and, and, and the teacher sitting there saying, because I, I've talked to my colleagues about this, and they're sitting there saying, Saeed, I'm sitting there. I've worked with this child constantly, did everything I could, and when the test came around, boom, they got asked. And the administrator is blaming me. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, these are some of my colleagues telling me from across the nation. It's a disgrace. It is a disgrace. Teaching is a vocation, is a very honorable profession. And when they did a ranking of professions, the two most honorable professions in the, in the world, they were going by, you know, across the continent, was doctor, being a doctor, and being a teacher. Now, back where I come from, and I'm sure many people can understand from back in the day where I come from, and on the continent of Africa where I come from, and I'm sure my friends in America and Europe, what have you, can relate to this. When a teacher walked into a room, there was only two sounds he heard or she heard. Nothing or just the wind blowing through the windows. Actually, no. There was a third. The student standing up when the teacher walked through the door. And then there was a fourth sound. Good morning, teacher. Well, good afternoon, teacher. She would say, good morning, good afternoon. So you sit down. Class went on. And the only talking in that room was there. If a student wanted to talk, they had a question. That was it. Now you start teaching. And, I'm, and again, I'm not saying this is indicative of all schools. I'm saying teachers in those, in those, those institutions of education that are doing a, a great job of putting out great students and putting them over there. I'm talking about the other places where, as a teacher, your first day resembles that poster of the Exodus. Uh, not the Exodus, the Exorcist, where you're standing out there with your briefcase in front of that building with smoke coming through the windows, and you're looking up saying, oh, my God, seriously, I'm not joking. You're in a room with maybe 30 students, different personalities, different agendas, different backgrounds, different school levels, and you have to make sure they all pass. Teaching where I come from, you don't talk to teacher. You don't say, well, they say, oh, he's acting or she's acting extra out. You don't take your cell phone and throw it on the table. You don't just walk out of class. You don't just argue with it. You don't just disrupt the class because you want attention. You sit there with your pen and paper or what have you ready. Some of my students use their laptop. And you take in the instruction. And if you have a question, you raise your hand. But sadly, the word repercussion is not in the vocabulary of these students. So when punishment does come down, they can't understand why. Because there are those teachers who just like to pass the bus. I'll just let that other student, I'll just let some other teacher deal with this student's problem. Many of you there know where I'm coming from. I've seen this at, at a lot of schools. And if you think it's bad just in high school or whatever, you should see how it is in college with some of these students coming in with no skills of writing, no skills of discipline. Their best friend is procrastination. But I tell them, you want to procrastinate and take your time with doing your work in college, they'll procrastinate you right out of college. Because let me explain this for students, you know. Because I have some great, great, great.
phone number, maybe like three. They'll, oh, they'll email me out, you know, can I do this, can I do that, what have you. Whereas I have some beautiful, great students in my ninth grade, my 10th grade, 11th grade, the seniors, as students. Then you have the Darth Vader of the students. And we'll talk about those after this next commercial break. Let's go back to the day and do a little old school. How do you learn, you know, with a health care reform and these politicians and stuff like that? I'm sure you're wondering how a bill gets passed. Uh, let's find out. You sure got to climb a lot of steps to get to this Capitol building here in Washington. Well, I wonder who that sad little scrap of paper is. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee. But I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will. But today I am still just a bill. Gee, Bill, you certainly have a lot of patience and courage. Well, I got this far. When I started, I wasn't even a bill. I was just an idea. Some folks back home decided they wanted a law passed, so they called their local congressman, and he said, you're right, there ought to be a law. Then he sat down and wrote me out and introduced me to Congress, and I became a bill. And I'll remain a bill until they decide to make me a law. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I got as far as Capitol Hill. Well, now I'm stuck in committee, and I'll sit here and wait while a few key congressmen discuss and debate whether they should let me be alone. I hope and pray that they will, but today I am still just a bill. those congressmen arguing. Is all that discussion and debate about you? Yeah, I'm one of the lucky ones. Most bills never even get this far. I hope they decide to report on me favorably, otherwise I may die. Die? Yeah, die in committee. Oh, but it looks like I'm going to live. Now I go to the House of Representatives and they vote on me. If they vote yes, what happens? Then I go to the Senate and the whole thing starts all over again. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And if they vote for me on Capitol Hill, well, then I'm off to the White House where I wait in a line with a lot of other bills for the president to sign. And if he signs me, then I'll be along. I hope and pray that he will. But today I am still just a bill. You mean even if the whole Congress says you should be a law, the president can still say no? Yes, that's called a veto. If the president vetoes me, I have to go back to Congress and they vote on me again, and by that time you're so By old, that time, it's very unlikely that you become a law. It's not easy to become a law, is it? No. But how I hope and pray that I will, but today I am still just a bill. He signed your bill, now you're a law. Oh, yeah. People, today I'm a bill. Woo! Classic, classic, classic. And I know my audience is saying, you know, the young audience is like, what kind of music is that? Good God. But the folks of my generation, that's how you learn. You want to talk about incorporating music into, into education. That's how it was done. I was, my parents would sit me there. I, you know, I, you know we were all, my parents were in school all the time. And a lot of times me and my siblings, and we would just sit there and watch this and sing along with it. Actually, that's actually kind of how kind of it with my English, you know. And I would just sit there and sing along with it. You know, my siblings would sing along with it, and it, it, that's just how it was. We didn't know it was any, um, you know, propaganda or subterfuge or something like that. That's what we did, what education was. And when I talk to my fellow teachers, I mean, it's just amazing, you know, with, uh, with our PE teacher or Mr. Tran or Mr. Mensa. Mr. Tran's out there using technology and, you know, putting up a board on the side of the building and teaching, you know, education. Or, you know, Mr. Curtis is in there using the E-beam and teaching them science. And they're making, you know, um, scientific devices out of, of, out of aluminum foil. And, oh, my God, you, know, you have, you know, Ms. Cypher is doing what she does, or Ms. Lip doing this, or Ms. Wilson is doing that. You know, with the English, sometimes I walk, you know, she teaches English, and I walk in there, and we used to share a classroom, and there was, she'd have so a depth, a deepness to her writing, I was afraid to erase it. 
I mean, it looked like old scripture. I mean, she just, I don't know how she got on one, on one board. You know, you go with Martin with history or what have you. It's, it's you know, it's, that's just a, that's just a, a, a few of the colleagues I talk about. And with the support of Ms. Fernandez or Ms. Liz and, you know, it's, it's all, it, people have, have, you know, they're all teaching or involved in their position because they do it for the love. Of course, you have those that, you know, as across the country, you have those just for the money, five, six, ten, ten years, and they're like, well, you know, I'll just collect my check, and as long as they graduate, I'm fine. Yes, we know those people. I know a few of those uh, over there in Texas who <laughs> I was visiting some friends out there and doing some work. But, again, the indication is that our students think they're, they're, they're get, they think they're getting the best, but they don't have anything to compare it to. And then when you try to compare it, the, the education of what they're receiving in reference to the community at large, they think, oh, they're going back to the day. No, it's not about going back to the day. I'll give you an example. My, the, I teach, I'm the coordinator for the, the, the Academy of Law and Diplomacy. It's uh, for the cohort 90, giving a shout out to 90. And what happens is that what we do is we have block schedules on, I believe, Tuesday and Wednesday. And I talk about a minute. Now, I can talk for an hour and 40 minutes. Trust me, I can go two, three hours if you want. We can get down like that. You know, my dad is a, is a, a minister. <laughs> so half my family is, is, is of the cloth. You know, ministers, religious, what have you. I can go on for about two or three hours. But these are ninth graders. You know their attention span after about 10 minutes. They're so what happens is that we have what we call Law and Orders Tuesday, uh, right in right, the global capacity of the global component of the academy where they're learning about the globe. And let me tell you, when we played a little game of uh, words travel, it was very interesting, the countries they was coming up with. But it was also very fascinating. Well, let me come back to, to the words travel in a moment. But let me go on to what I was saying. So what we do is uh, we have a week called Law and Order Tuesday. And what I would do is I'd play an, an episode of Law and Order that was re- relative to what we talked about. So I'm talking about jurisprudence, if we were talking about perjury, if we were talking about three, uh, the three uh, divisions of government, or we were talking about uh, plea bargains, Supreme Court, appeal litigants, aid. This is what we're doing in the class. We actually did a law, we actually did a trial in there. But when Law and Order Tuesday came around, there, my, oh, if I didn't do it, they'd want to lynch me. Hope it doesn't offend anybody. But literally, they would always look forward to that. And I didn't do it just so just to uh, keep them busy. They were really into the episodes. And a lot of times, it was always got a nice, it always brought a smile to my face when, like, for example, we was talking about jurisprudence. And that actually came up in the episode, and the students got it. They got it. They were like, ah, we just talked about that. So now what I'm doing, um, we're starting to creep, you know, also I showed some other movies, uh, for example, A Time to Kill, uh, and Samuel Jackson, um, that was set in the South. A lot of these kids haven't been out of Los Angeles, have been out of California, or they came here, but they haven't left California. So they, they, don't, they don't really know anything about the South. But to see the, 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 the outstanding acting between Matt McConaughey and Samuel Jackson, and uh, the gentleman's name escapes me, it's right in front of me. He played the, the ADA. He played the, the, for the sale. Kevin Spacey was in there. Sandra Bullock was in there. It was a great cast, you know. Uh, Keith Sullivan and his father was in the movie. It was a great movie. They were really into it. Um, especially the fact that I couldn't even play it in one setting. I had to play it in, a, in, a, uh, in one setting. I started in one setting a lesson for that day, so I wasn't able to finish in that one thing like I like to do. And they were quick to remind me, can we finish the movie? And it was very interesting that when the movie concluded, just the reaction in the class was, you know, applause for the verdict and this, that, this, that. But I used that as an opportunity to talk about, okay, let's talk about precedent, which means that if someone kills somebody else, this case here just created a precedent saying, well, that guy killed somebody got off, and he claimed that. Why can't I do it? So 9D with that class, you know, I think their average age is, I think, 13. I could be wrong, 13, whatever. But it, it, it's, even though they have lunacy, when these kids start, you know, start exchanging ideas and start talking and start asking questions, they're really into it. I mean, literally. I can go down to Crystal Oswan, Karen Lazo, Anna Ramos, Astrid, Walisha, Serena, Patty, Walsh, Jasmine, Chad, oh my God, uh, Matt Martin, Gomez, Gutierrez, 
You have uh, Charlotte over there. You have Danae over there. You have Brandon over there. Oh, my God, you have Doris. We can just go on. You have Iris. Iris. You have uh, Glasper. You can just go on and on. You have uh, uh, Twilight. I that's that. Who that would be? That was uh, Christina Welch. I mean, you can go on and on. You know, Hills that we call Elquest. I have nicknames for them. Chris uh, Chris uh, Chief Justice. You know, while each is brown. But when we did a case in there involving students, which I felt forced to know, I mean, that's about education and interactive. I played the DA, Jack McCoy. Alicia Shipp played the ADA, and Serena Wynn was the first defense attorney for what we called the, uh, oh, my God, the group of five, something like that. And then Jasmine, one of my uh, was a lawyer, was her assistant lawyer for the law firm, uh, uh, Jasmine and Barajas, and they represented somebody who wanted to, who wanted to make a plea bargain to five, against the group of five. It was a group of six, but when he switched sides and made a plea bargain, it became a group of five. It was fascinating. I really wish we got a chance to videotape the whole thing. It was fascinating. And the fact that they were found not guilty, I am filing an appeal. So we created a Supreme Court in the room. So now we have Crystal Wilson one of the Chief Justice. I believe Eris is one of the judges, is one of the, on the Supreme Court. Uh, Christina is the appeals judge. And we have a few other people in the Supreme Court. But I say that to make education fun, make it interactive, and not teach the more, they're, very, they're very smart, and they're more smart than they're led to believe. But sadly, you give them the knowledge, but when they go test, half the knowledge you give them isn't on the test, and that's the problem. And then when you talk about you want to standardize tests for the entire country, then you have those lazy teachers who are like, no, we can't have to do that, because why? Then they're going to have to really get down and teach. Seriously. I have no problem with standardized testing. If you're against it, that's no problem to stand, different opinion. There needs to be one consistent rule. When you take the Series 6 exam, an investment firm exam to do mutual funds, and Series 7 exam to do bonds uh, and stocks, no matter where you take it in the country, it's, the, education system, the educational standard should be the same. That an A here in California means the same in Massachusetts, means the same in Miami. But what's happening now, kids are being taught to test. A lot of skills that these teachers are going to because they're not able to utilize the in-depth talent and knowledge that can really do things for these children, particularly if you have a staff that's very multicultural, multinational, different countries. I mean, someone like the UN where I teach, literally. Someone like the United Nations. I'm actually applying that trip right now for my students uh, in 9D in the academy. You know? But the thing is, conversely, again, is the teacher, you know, those conversations, those descriptions I just said to you, those aren't in the discussions when President Obama and these folks are talking about schools and whatnot. The discussion teachers have to be held accountable. But what about the parent? What about the guardian? What about the that's over this child, whatever? How come they're not accountable? What about the administrators that aren't supporting the teachers? How come they're not held accountable? And on top of that, you know, we have to get down. The student, why is it this, this too many excuses are being made for the student? And a lot of my colleagues complain about this, that they're being called, oh, we understand that your life wasn't great. Oh, we understand that you had a bad upbringing. Oh, we understand that there are certain issues. That's okay. You don't have to turn in your homework now. You can just turn it in next week and we'll be okay. We'll just give you a makeup. Guess what? You did with the wrong student. You're creating a precedent of this student's going to think that's what life's all about. Look what happened to Mike Tyson. How many excuses were made for him? And look what happened to him. All right? Let's, let's get real. I always call this the remember the Titans syndrome. Remember the Titans where Denzel Washington was the football coach. There was a scene where one of the young students, one of the black kids, wanted to go. He was like always nervous, always nervous, always nervous, but he had to go into the game. And he was always nervous and shaking. So the Anglo coach came over and said, what's wrong? Oh, coach, I'm not ready to go in. I'm not ready to go in. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm ready to go in either, blah, blah, blah. And the coach said, okay, that's okay. Go in the back. He came out of nowhere. And said, what are you doing? I'm sending that kid back there. He's not ready to go in. Denzel said, you do that now, you're going to cripple that child for life. And when I share with my students and athletes, a lot of those students, they get it. You're crippling that student for life. And there has to be accountability placed on these students that if you don't do X, this is what's going to happen. I myself do not give makeups. Unless it's, let's have a note that explains that the result of deportation, deportation, eviction, or reco re, uh, relocation, or uh, incarceration, or hospitalization. 
unless I have a note with um, that explains those those bases. I don't get. And if I put it online, I don't want to hear about the fact you have computer issues when you're standing in a room with about 30 computers in there. That when you want to get in your face, say, oh, you can find the connection for there. But when it's time to do the work, the server is down. Give me a break. There has to be accountability on the student because what's the student that is in that room to learn is being undermined by the student that just wants to be this focus of attention. That I'm sure that if I can't learn, no one else is going to learn. And that student that wants to learn is being undermined. And the one thing that troubles me is, for example, when I'm teaching um, my technology class, and I'll start the window, I'll hear a senior talking about, ah, oh, we're going to shoot the niggas. I'm not saying inward stuff. This is what I'm hearing. Through the window, and, my, and I get so irritated because he seems to be no problem with that. Ah, oh, nigga this, nigga that, bitch this, bitch that. And that sometimes comes from the female students. I'm hearing this come through the window. So my students now, what I like, uh, Christina Williams or who it may be, uh, but I'll say, can you go, you know, because if it's the middle school, it's noise. You know, my student will go out there and ask me to keep it quiet. But Mr. Tran is very good about, hey, are they too loud? I'll keep them low. Because sadly, I don't have windows uh, uh, on the side of where I'm teaching on that building. And, you know, he teaches, you know, trains middle school. They're loud. So you can't make them be quiet. But a lot of times he'll just move them away from the building, whatever. But that's how teachers work together. Teachers as a team work together. Uh, you know, if, if, if I, you know, I may have to like over a class or, um, you know, we do this thing called thematic teaching now where there's a theme where uh, if I have a break in technology, I need to teach rules, which will help Mr. Martin or Ms. Cypher. And a lot of times I ask them, okay, what are you teaching so I can structure some free time exercise around that? Or, on you know, the school where I go where I teach at, we have Saturday school, middle school one Saturday, uh, high school the next Saturday. So there's no reason why I don't have access to a computer, I don't have access to a teacher. I don't have access to administrators. It's, it's lame. But if I, could, if I read to you some of the excuses that I, oh, my God. And it's not just condemning the students he, you know, here. Because, like, as I said before, and I make sure to say it again, I have great students. Of course, there are those who have obviously, it's about them and not the education. Education is key. Teachers have to feel supported. And as a nation, if, this is what, if these students are going to grow up and be leaders, you never know, Malcolm, Malcolm X was a dealer back in the day, and then he, he reformed himself, transformed. I tell the students, you guys aren't dumb. You know this. You just don't know you know this. You ask them a word, what does it know? But if you put the word in the context of a sentence, then they get it. And that really comes true when I teach technology. But on that note, let's take a uh, we're talking about global and things like that. So um, Tupac was very educational when it came to talking to people. People thought he was about thug life and, and, and you know, gangs and stuff like that. But people forget that a teacher spoke about the fact that one day when he was going to the Baltimore School for Dramatic Arts, I think the name of the school was, this student was quoting Shakespeare for about 20 minutes as, she was, as the student was approaching behind. She didn't know it was Tupac. Tupac was deep when it came to education. Well, obviously, you know, media always makes show the, the dark side of actors or performers, whatever. So in a global society, let's go to a, he, uh, a song that he did that, type, that has a little mix of a Bangari music from India. Tupac, talk to your child that wasn't born and speak for the child that, speak uh, to the children that haven't been born yet. That Liberian girl
Again, we have to support our teachers and teach the enemy. We can't say we've seen the enemy and the enemy the teachers. And no shady teachers out there who are But it's kind of funny when I talk to my brother coming up back in Boston as a teacher, and we have our conversation. When he talk, articulates to me, you know, his thoughts, on this, it's almost like listening to an echo because I was the same thing. In class or through a presentation or speaking, public speaking, we all do that. That's why we, and you know, you want to talk about role models, our role models is our parents. You know, Dr. Dabingo Wasite and Dr. Angolela Wakabongo, who have nine college degrees between them. So for us, education is not something to be taken lightly. And in this world of technology, what's the most important situation that needs to be addressed is the digital divide which means those that, that have the grasp of technology and those that don't. And I don't mean the technology of you're able to use your cell phone to send text messages or what have you or get to MySpace or what have you, check the time. I'm talking about using technology on your cell phone to be able to like do some research, do some, do some uh, calculations, knowing how to get on the net, knowing about how technology works. I'm talking about logging in, cleaning up hard drives, registry cleaning or what have you, telecommunications. I'm talking about having access to and be able to use it beyond going to some social media like MySpace and beyond cutting and pasting. My young, my young nephew, my little nephew, Talib, my sister, Marty, I remember I'd be trying, she would always be with him. He was on the computer, I think, at the age of three, if not lower. He could barely touch the floor. All my nieces and all of them, they're, they're, we, we have taught them and we are continuing to teach them why I spend a lot of time with them. We spend a lot of time with them playing tapes and things like that. To make digital vibe does not affect them because the digital vibe is creating a have and have not where people that don't have computers at home have to go to the library. So if the library is closed and you're from the computer, you're kind of screwed. You know, it's not like the mobile library from back in the day. That's what people need now. We need a mobile computer lab that goes from neighborhood to neighborhood. That's something I have to look into. But that's the situation. The divide of have and have nots. Those that don't have computers at home and those that do have computers at home. I tell my students, you guys know how to use a cell phone, but you don't know how it works. Have my idea. The question is, if you delete your text message from your cell phone, is the message deleted? Everybody said yes. I'm like, no, it's not. Then I have to explain to them how it works on the board. They were stunned. 
And you can see the folks that were sending some text messages that they shouldn't have been sending. But anyways, the digital divide is going to be, in this world, is going to be something that's going to exacerbate the has and has not, seriously. And that is a global community. A lot of software is being developed for respective areas, whether it be Latin America or more software uh, in, in, in Africa, East, I think on the east side, uh, the Swahili phones, what have you. This digital divide is going to be critical. It doesn't make a difference if you want to be a football player or a linebacker or a basketball player. Okay, that's what you see on TV. That's nice, but do you want to be a player on the football field or do you want to be the person that owns the team? It's all about education. It's all about understanding business. Some of the greatest business minds are in jail. Those drug dealers are running many corporations on the street. The people of us can remember our teachers who were there. Ms. Beauregard, who taught me French, you know. When I went back to speak at Martin Luther King Junior School in Cambridge, I wanted to find, I wanted to see Ms. Powers. She was a teacher. I found out she died of lupus. And even towards the end when she was being, the disease was racking her body, she was still teaching. And when I talked about her to the students, I was very emotional. It was in middle school. I was very, if people could tell, because she really influenced into art. It's like when Michael Jackson saw, you know, was talking to James Brown at some show at the Grammys or whatever it was, and Michael Jackson was standing off to the left, and he was serious. You could see it, saying, you have influenced my life more than anybody. That was Miss Powers when it came to art. Now, when I go back to Boston, I see my little, when the little Shaoomba comes by or Zuri comes by, they go up there and put the DVDs, start watching movies or cartoons or educational. What makes students, our, our students are on that same path, that they have to be able to understand technology. Because if you're left behind right now, wait till this world develops more. And if you don't know what memory is between RAM and ROM, if you can't write, you're struggling. If you can't format when you want to go to college, you can kiss college goodbye because they'll laugh you right out of there. Particularly in the we have so many adults who are laid off going back to school, taking up the remaining spaces where colleges have to drop classes. So on that note, now two people support the teachers that are doing it, speak on their behalf, all right, but put accountability on the students, put accountability on the parents, put accountability on the administrators, put accountability on the guardians of these children. That's what the economy needs to be put on. Too much is being put on the teacher. It's not right. It's not fair. And one day, someone's going to realize that as the world spins, they're going to ask themselves, where's all the good teachers? They left, like a lot of doctors go feel. People, we have two minutes left. Remember this. It was D.L. Hughley on the show. He, they had his high school teacher sitting next to him. The high school teacher was saying such good things about D.L. Hughley as a student. D.L. Hughley, a comedian actor, was in tears. He had no idea that his teacher was saying was, was thinking of thinking of him like that, of such positiveness. That's the impact a teacher could have. And this teacher was from about 15 One minute left, people, we're out of here. What is going to take us out? Well, you know, we talked about James Brown. So let's go with a little James Brown here. No, let's go a little reggae. Hold on. No, let's Brown. We have one minute. People, we're out of here. Probably got a brand new bag.
Take it off here with James. Take it off here Like a boomerang. Cassie Dabinga, live and direct from Beverly Hills. I'm gone. Good night. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week. Later on. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.